0: Welcome to The Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Eric Holguin, an openly gay Latino running for the Texas legislature. We'll talk to the young politician about his motivation to run a very progressive campaign in a very traditional South Texas district, and how his ideas are winning over voters. Thank you for following the Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessigarciashow.com. We're just days away from the 2020 election, and for many communities, there will be opportunities for change. For South Texas House District 32, which covers the Corpus Christi area, Residents in the minority-majority district currently represented by an Anglo-Republican will have an opportunity to consider a historic choice, Eric Olgin. Eric comes from a working-class family that instilled in him the value of public service at an early age. After graduating from Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi, Eric spent years working in federal and local levels of government. Today, we learn about his campaign and how voters in the district he is running to represent feel about an openly gay man running to represent them at the state capitol. I want to welcome to the show a young, rising political star from the big, beautiful city of Corpus Christi, home of the Hano star Selena, and hopefully, hopefully, the first openly gay state legislator from South Texas, Eric Olguin. Eric. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, people always ask where
1: you're from, and my response is generally South Texas, uh, because I was born here in uh, Annabelle, which is part of Corpus Christi, and went to elementary school in Odom, which is a small town right outside of Corpus, and then we moved to Falfurias, Went to middle school there, and then I graduated high school from Sherryland, which is a mission down in the valley. So, uh, you know, we kind of moved around as a kid. So, um, you know, grew up in South Texas, graduated from college from a and Corpus Christi. Uh, family is public servants as a teacher, football coach. My mother's a nurse. Uh, my brothers are veterans, and they're state troopers now. And so, you know, we're just typical small town, uh, middle class Latinx Latino Latino. <laughs> All of uh, the, all the You're
0: <laughs> yeah, a true yeah. South Texan. I mean, you just didn't live in one little city. You moved around to all these mm-hmm. cities that I I remember when I used to drive to San Antonio, passing all these little towns. Corpus mm-hmm. is one of my favorite cities because my favorite aunt lives there, and it's it was just like oh my god, going to visit Corpus has a lot of good memories. It's a mm-hmm. beautiful city. Uh, what got you into interested in politics and running for office to represent Corpus?
1: You know, it's I always look back on my life and growing up, and I think where people end up in life, there's always like hints along the way as to how they got there. And so growing up, I was always very involved in school, in student council, in environmental club, science club. I was just extremely involved. Um, And then, you know, involved through college. And once I graduated college, I would say around the, you know, 2008 elections, um, I started forming my own opinions uh, on politics because a lot of people growing up, they typically just go with what their parents say. But, you know, I was graduating college and I was starting to, to see the world for myself. Um, and a lot of people don't know this, but I actually ran for city council in Corpus Christi in 2009. I was a senior in college, had no idea what I was doing.
0: And... Um,
1: I just kept showing up to things. And I remember my answers at some of the forums, like the firefighters forum, they would ask me these questions about pensions and things that, you know, most college students have no clue about. And my response was, that's a good question. I'll look into that and get back to you.
0: <laughs>
1: um, which, you know, that's
0: that's the best you can do if you don't know but the At that answer. moment, yeah, you, do, you just want to be honest and tell them, hey, I'm going to have to research. So you come from a family of public servants. How do they feel about you running for office? Because public servants, it's sort of like nonpartisan. You just, you're just you there to serve the community, and you serve all the community. How do they feel you running for a partisan office?
1: You know, my my, my whole family is Democrats. And so growing up, it was always, you know, supporting Bill Clinton, supporting John Kerry during his presidential campaign, Obama, Hillary, and so When I first ran for city council in college, they thought I was absolutely out of my mind because growing up in a small town community, Hispanic middle class, the idea of a politician is typically someone who's wealthy, who's older, uh, who's typically uh, not a person of color. And so that's just how they were raised and that was their line of thinking. So whenever they saw their son, who's young, who's gay, who's Latino, Wanting to get into the arena with those people, they thought I was out of my mind. <laughs> to be honest, um, they thought I was out of my mind. And then, uh, you know, once I ran for Congress in 2018, uh, they saw that I—they knew what I was doing. So, backtracking a little bit, um, after graduating from college, I moved to New York City. So, I was in New York City for almost eight, almost 10 years, and. My first job there I was I was a talent agent, and so um, you know it, it was okay. I was putting actors in TV shows and movies and all that sort of stuff, and it was it was a good job. It was fun, you know. You got to go to like little movie premieres and things like that. But I didn't really care for it. And what I noticed that got me excited the most was whenever I would book actors' roles and uh, hear their excitement, and you know, some of them would cry. I'm like, this skill is good. This skill is good to help people. And so that's whenever I decided to jump over to politics. And so I started working for a U.S. Congresswoman up in New York, uh, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, and worked for her for a little bit, and I jumped over this, to the New York City Controller's Office, handling community affairs, public policy, things like that. And so it was in that position, or both of those positions, rather, that I really learned how government works, and the ins and outs, and how to connect the dots to help improve people's lives. And so after I was, after I had this in-depth, very um, hands-on, on-the-ground experience of of government and civil service and politics, I was sort of like wondering, what can I do with this? And after the 2016 elections, I I, I knew I had to do something. Because I was living in New York, I was like, I see Texas, I see underserved communities and disenfranchised communities in Texas getting attacked. And I remember President Obama's outgoing speech where he basically said, don't count on anybody to make the change. You're the person you've been waiting for. So get in there and delay. Um, It wasn't that direct, but that's essentially what he said. And so that's whenever I started exploring my options of going back to uh, South Texas, uh, back to Corpus Christi. And that's when I decided, you know what, I'm gonna run for US Congress. Blake Farenthold was in the office was in the position at the time, and a lot of people know him from the sexual harassment
0: scandal. Cor- horrible congressman, all around. Yes, <laughs> yes,
1: and and that's due to gerrymandering. We, we'll, we'll expand on that in a bit, but you know, it's I, I saw this person who was just inept and not able to do the job, and I was like, we need someone different. I'm going to go back down, and I'm going to I'm going to do this, and so when I came back down to Uh, Corpus Christi and ran for Congress, you know, I had grown up, I was already 30 years old. Uh, My parents took me a little more seriously. They saw the success I had in government and politics in New York City and knew that I was capable of replicating that and and doing even better here in South Texas. And they were extremely supportive. I mean, they showed up, they went out block walking for me, they were phone banking for me, Uh, they went to all the election night uh, parties. I had five elections that day very exhausting. It was a very exhausting year, not uh, day that year, and so, you know, they, they were very supportive, and they still very supportive, and and they know this is a passion of mine, and they know that I have the skin to be in it. They know I have the intelligence and the confidence and everything it takes to to make a difference. Because getting into politics is is tough, uh, and it takes uh, you have to have a special skin to get into it and, and get into the arena because you're, you're literally fighting people not physically hopefully uh, but you're 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 going toe-to-toe with people who are there for other interests sometimes that interest is not in the best interest of the community so
0: one of the issues that you're passionate about is healthcare. you list it prominently on your website mm-hmm. at corpus christi before the pandemic hit it was rated number three in the highest death rate increase um, from cardiovascular disease for people ages 45 to 64 in a major metro area. Uh, and then in August, we just found out that it ranked number five post-COVID, the the highest spread of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Is this an issue that your maker your voters are like really worried about or is it the economy? You know, it's both. both
1: healthcare and the
0: economy. <laughs> you know, the, the old saying is uh that's the economy, stupid. That's that's the quote that you always hear when it comes to running for for office. Uh,
1: but healthcare, especially in the age of COVID, is extremely important. And the health and healthcare and the economy are always tied together. And I think a lot of people forget that. And you know the the big issue with healthcare right now, and in Texas, is expanding Medicaid because if you expand Medicaid, you can get more underserved communities healthcare. Um, with COVID nineteen, a lot of the people that are contracting COVID are communities of color, um, working class communities, low income communi- communities, because they're the ones that have to actually show up and go to work. Um, they're the essential workers, and so they're putting themselves at risk. And these people are not always paid very well, and because they're not always paid very well, they don't uh, have great health insurance. And so, you know, it's that's the that's the big connection there. And you know, the next connection is. You know, if we want to open up the economy and and have a thriving economy, we have to get COVID nineteen under control. Uh, because if you look at restaurants, the hospitality industry, a lot of those restaurants, a lot of the those establishments are operating at twenty five or even fifty percent capacity legally. Uh, do Do all of them follow the rules? That's another question. But um, you know, it's these hourly workers or these tipped workers they cannot live off of 50 percent of their paycheck of what they're used to getting and so you know if we tackle covid and do everything that's do everything that's uh that we need to do to aggressively get under control and and flatten the curve and ensure that our testing rate is under five percent so that we we could go back to normal life quote unquote um then the economy will do better Ah, uh, because people all have uh, faith, and it's 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 consumer confidence essentially. If people don't feel safe to go out, they're not going to go out and spend money. So, uh, the economy and healthcare are always tied together. But the big issue within Texas, like I said, is expanding Medicaid under the ACA. Under the ACA, uh, Texas is if Texas is essentially rejecting federal funds. Um, and that money is going to other states. Uh, the reason we're rejecting it is rejecting it is because of politics. You have Republican legislators, um, like my opponent, Todd Hunter, who has voted repeatedly to not accept uh, Medicaid expansion. And so what that's doing is hurting a lot of our underserved communities. So kind of kind of full circle.
0: What are some of the other issues facing your district? You know, one of the things that I always talk
1: about, and it's sort of a, what I say a not politically sexy topic is coastal uh resiliency uh infrastructure investments. And when I when I talk about that is we're on the coastal bend, we had superstorm or or uh hurricane Hannah, which hit about a month ago, a month and a half ago. I mean the storm barely came in and most of the city, a lot of the city lost power almost immediately. Yeah. Um And the reason that happens is because the coastal band, Corpus Christi, Port Aransas, the island, Flower um, Bluff—that those are all within uh, my district as well. There hasn't been serious investments in modernizing our electric grid and and ensuring that our building codes um, are up to par, to where whenever we have hurricane, uh, when hurricanes come or very strong storms come that roofs are not flying off super easy and and homes and commercial buildings are not just being blown away uh that easily and so you know it's we have to ensure that we're investing in our infrastructure uh, because otherwise every time we get hit with a hurricane look at hurricane harvey we're still recovering from that every time we get hit with a hurricane we're going to be playing catch up for the next few years and if we're not you know like i said taking making serious investments in all of this and i'm not not just and i'm not just talking about uh roads and potholes because those are going to be eternal problems um but i'm talking about our outdated pipelines that have not been updated in in decades uh some even 70 years and pipelines electric grid like what can we do to ensure that the coastal band is on the forefront of uh having a strong infrastructure a clean infrastructure, a modernized infrastructure, uh, pipelines, electric grid, building codes, you know, drainage, you name it. And that's that's a big issue that um, a lot of people don't care about. I don't want to say don't care about, don't know about, because it's, it's just see. Stuff It's
0: stuff that's underground. That's it's underground. stuff that they don't get to see on a regular basis, so they don't know that if it's in, in good condition or not because they don't see those things because they're all underground, you know, within the walls. But it's Mm -hmm. stuff that needs to get repaired. This is a problem Mm -hmm. going on throughout the United States where we haven't concentrated on infrastructure. We say that that's a big promise, but we never get to it because we're so busy Mm -hmm. fighting for other stuff that we're forgetting that our bridges are are crumbling, you know? A lot of our bridges Mm -hmm. are in trouble. So I'm glad that that you're facing this issue and you're bringing this up bringing this issue uh, are the voters in your district ready for an out state legislature
1: I think so i mean it, it's 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 not taboo anymore I think, you know, asked me 10 years ago i think there might have been a a concern um, that people would have been like ah oh, we're not sure uh, when i ran for congress and even now not a single person has has said Oh, you know, you're you're gay, we cannot, you know, we're against that. Uh I've gotten some uh you know, some people that some I would say far right Republicans that um don't believe in it. I'm like, you know, whatever, but it's but it's not like I'm that is the card that I'm leading with. Um it's not being gay is not uh is not my life. It's it's just part of who I am. Um, and I think people have accepted that. I don't hide it. I'm very vocal about LGBTQIA plus uh, protections and, and equality and equity within that community. And so, you know, it's 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 something that I don't think people care about.
0: Uh, yeah, there's a, five other communities have already sent uh, an LGBTQ state legislator to Austin. So yes. it's been done before. There are currently some that are serving proudly. And... It'll be a first out of South Texas if you get to do it.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's the, I think there's, there's five, uh, LGBTQI LGBTQIA plus, um, women, uh, that, that they make up the LGBT caucus. There's no, there's no gay men yet. Uh, and so myself and I just learned of, a of another, uh, uh, out candidate out of the Fort Worth area, Lorenzo Sanchez. Um, he's up there also, and so, you know, we've been communicating, and we're like, look, it's just us two. When we get in there, we're going to have
0: to like <laughs> stay side by side because it's just me and you that are going to be fighting the good old boy system. And we need to thank Glenn Maxey of Austin, who was the trailblazer, got to serve as the first out state legislator in Texas.
1: Yes, think, absolutely.
0: Well, yeah. When you're I do, earlier today, you were. Um, I saw that you were handing out yard <laughs> signs and talking to people. Door to door, for those folks who feel that their vote won't matter this November, or who are upset that their candidate didn't make it out of the presidential primary, what's your message to them about the importance of getting out to vote, especially if you're a progressive person in Texas? You know, it's what I
1: always have to tell people uh, that are not happy that who with you know, essentially Joe Biden being the presidential nominee. Joe Biden was not my first choice. He wasn't even my top five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first choice was actually Kamala. Uh, so I'm glad to see she's VP. And then second choice, the one that I actually would afford was Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, it's, I, I always say elections are not car rides. They are bus rides or train, or train or train rides. They're going to get you as close as you can to what you want. That sometimes you're gonna to have to walk the rest of the way. And so, you know, I just look at everything going on, the, the the Trump administration, and with him it's not even about him being a Republican anymore. It's just about being a decent human being. And so, you know, I, for those that are saying that they're gonna vote third party or they're gonna skip that vote or whatnot, I, I have to stress that doing that is not going to get you closer to your stop. Uh, Because if Trump wins, I can guarantee you we're going to spend the next few decades reversing that and trying to get um, a progressive into office because we have to be taking steps forward to get to that. Um, Did it happen this time around? No. Did it happen in 2016? No. But we have to sort of come to a realization that, you know what, we didn't, our candidate didn't win this time, uh, which, you know, sucks for us. But we know that if we do the work uh, and push Joe Biden to have more progressive policies, um, and if he wants re election or even after that, we have a real opportunity to keep moving the goalpost closer, getting closer to the goalpost. And, you know, it's their vote matters. It's so important. And I always say if you don't vote, you're literally giving other people the power that you have and when I ran for Congress I campaigned in very rural communities and some of these rural communities I saw households with Confederate flags and Trump flags and things that are pretty scary and unacceptable in today's society and I tell these I tell some of the voters who who feel disenfranchised within the Democratic Party that are progressive and, and may have followed Bernie Sanders and you know, and his movement. those people with the Confederate flags and the Trump flags, and those people are going to vote and they're gonna vote for Trump. So, you know, you're not gonna get closer to voting. You're not gonna get closer to getting the candidate that you want next time around by ignoring this election. So, you know, we all have to vote. Everyone's vote matters. If you think your vote doesn't matter in general, you know, put aside progressive candidates. Uh, if your vote isn't if you feel like your vote doesn't matter in general your landlord thinks that your landlord knows his vote matters you're the person deciding uh, the people deciding how many taxes how much taxes you pay matters the people that you that decide how much you get paid it matters the people deciding your tuition they vote and so you're literally giving away the power to have other people decide how you live your life on a daily basis. And while I always have to stress to people, remember to vote down ballot because all we hear about is presidency, 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 so it's important to vote down ballot. Um, And within Texas, they did away with straight ticket voting. So, um, you know, whenever you go vote, hit every single box, do your homework, know who you're voting for, um, because
0: your vote is matter exactly from the white house to the state house to the courthouse the texas Mm -hmm. ballot is going to be long because there's a lot of judicial benches that you vote for you don't vote for in other states but in texas you do get to vote for your judicial benches and there are Mm a lot but it's important because you want that local person that gets to decide what happens in your community you need to put a check on them to make sure that they're the ones that you want representing your community. So it's important to do your homework and um, learn when early voting takes place in Texas and show up on election day, November 3rd, and make sure that you got everything because it's like Texas has a lot, of, a lot of rules to make sure that um, you show up on election day and you're that person that says they're on the roll. So Make sure you have enough uh, identification and enough time on your hands, just in case the polls get to be a little bit uh, long that day.
1: Yeah, and, and they in Texas, they actually extended early voting. So it, it, early voting now goes from October 13th to October 30th. And in most counties, I know within Oasis County, you can vote um, anywhere within the county. And so, you know, Republicans did away with straight ticket voting because they're trying to discourage people from going to vote because a long ballot is going to create long lines. It's going to create frustration. It's going to create. It ultimately is a voter suppression tactic. So hang in there. You know there's going to be a lot of polling locations. Go vote early uh, because most uh, polling locations during early voting are open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, six days a week, uh, maybe even seven days a week. So you know you have plenty of opportunity to go vote. So please go vote. Yeah, um, and then. One last note I have to mention is we have redistricting coming up uh, in the 2021 session. Texas is a very gerrymandered state. We have politicians choosing their voters instead of voters choosing their politicians. So that's why it's so important to vote for state legislators uh, that are open to having a, bi- a nonpartisan process, redistricting process, so we could have fair lines of their maps.
0: Another reason why we should worry about down, down ballot races is because how are we ever going to grow? our bench of future leaders if we don't get our folks elected in these small offices such as school boards. They have to start mm-hmm. somewhere and you need to get them in the office that they need to get to grow to be a better candidate and and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and get that experience. So please, 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 Texas folks, don't forget to vote for the down ballot races. Investigate who's going to represent you. And for the folks in Corpus Christi, check out Eric Olguin. Really good really good guy thank you so much for all the community work you did before you launched your state legislator you were busy being a good activist trying to get the latino community and the lgbt community come together and bring some 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 good some good trouble by getting people Mm -hmm. to have conversations about lgbt acceptance in your area and that's why i admire you eric because you you've already put in the work in that arena and I appreciate you that you're rising to the level and you're stepping in and you're running for state representative.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's it's the way I look at it is the people that are anti-LGBT or the people that are trying to suppress people, they're being relentless on that. They're doing everything they can to to push people down. And so my personality is uh I'm not gonna cuss, but that. <laughs> uh, we're going we're to push back and we're going to be relentless and we have to, uh, you know, there's people that are waiting for us to come out of the room and, and and fight for them. Because, you know, I'm fortunate in that I can go out there and fight and be vocal and have a platform. Um, and there's some people that just need a champion for them. And, and if I'm willing to, if, if I need to take all the hits and the burns and the punches, that's totally okay i have the skin for it so for me doing this is it's not about politics it's personal um, just because of how i grew up uh, mostly within the within the closet and being bullied and so you know i see i, I experience what a lot of people go through and um, and i don't want other people to have to experience that so that's why i just go out there and I start throwing hands
0: <laughs> thank you so much eric for paving the way for lots of little uh, queer Latinx folks in your area to see that it can be done. You can grow up and you can run for office without having to be ashamed. Thank you so much for your time and I wish you the best of luck in your election. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.